0: Hi there, I'm Robert Lorizel and I report for the Curious City series at WBZ. Curious City takes your questions about the Chicago region and tracks down answers. This time, a question leads us back to Chicago history, to the Haymarket bombing of 1886. The Haymarket affair transformed labor politics and radical movements around the world, but it also changed Chicago itself forever. Coming up, Haymarket's cultural impact at home. And then Grammy-winning Chicago rapper Rhymefest breaks into song to remind us that the labor struggles of Haymarket are still relevant today.
1: Curious City is supported by Dover, a diversified global manufacturer committed to delivering product innovation and customer service in the energy, engineered systems, fluids, and refrigeration and food equipment markets. More at dovercorporation.com. And by Ozinga Ready Mix Concrete, a family-owned Chicago business since 1928. Ozinga offers compressed natural gas, CNG, at its fueling stations now open in Chicago, Mokina, and Gary, Indiana. More at ozingaenergy.com.
0: Who's the... What is going to be... When Where they? do I... Why is it... How many... What is the... What?
1: <laughs> I'm
0: reporter Robert Lorizel and I'm here to answer a curious city question that comes from Sabina of West Suburban Naperville. It goes like this. How did the Haymarket Square incident affect Chicago's culture at the time? Later, a historian describes how, before the Haymarket affair, Chicagoans could hear radicals call for revolution. But later, those loud calls turned into silence. But first, here's a primer on Haymarket. It's May 1st, 1886. Across the country, hundreds of thousands of people go on strike, demanding shorter hours. They want an eight-hour workday. In Chicago, 30,000 walk off their jobs. They have support from labor activists, radicals, and anarchists who fought government control as well as industrial capitalism. Two days later, strikers scuffle with replacement workers at the McCormick Reaper Works on the southwest side. Police fire into the crowd, killing at least two strikers. Chicago's anarchists print a flyer, calling for a rally.
2: Working men to arms! Your masters sent out their bloodhounds! The police! They killed your brothers! If you are men, you will destroy the hideous monster that seeks to destroy you!
0: On the night of May 4th, 1,500 people gather near Haymarket Square at Randolph and Desplaines streets. Mayor Carter Harrison Sr. keeps an eye on the rally.
2: It was tame. I saw no weapons at all upon any person. The majority of that crowd were idle spectators.
0: Harrison goes home. The crowd dwindles. But then, the police say they hear someone calling for violence. War has been declared upon us, and I ask you to get a hold of anything that will help to resist the onslaught of the enemy and the usurper. 200 police officers come marching
2: come the bloodhounds! I command you, in the name of the people of the state of Illinois, to immediately and peaceably disperse. But we are peaceable.
0: Just then, a bomb flies towards the cops. Some witnesses say the police fire most of the bullets. Others say people in the crowd are shooting too.
2: Everybody was running and people fell, struck by bullets, right
0: and left. By the time it's all over, seven officers are dead or dying. Four people in the crowd are killed. Police round up dozens of anarchists. Eight radicals are put on trial. Prosecutors don't know who threw the bomb, but they convince a jury that these eight men are guilty of a conspiracy to annihilate the police force. The next year, one defendant commits suicide in jail, and four of the anarchists are marched to the gallows. One of them, August Spies, utters his final words on the scaffold.
2: The time will come when our silence will be more powerful than the voices you strangle today.
0: But the story does not end there. Three Haymarket defendants are serving prison sentences. And in 1893, Governor John Peter Alkeld pardons them. He says their trial was a miscarriage of justice. No greater damage could possibly threaten our institutions than to have the courts of justice run wild or to give way to popular clamor. But the story does not end there either. Remember, our Curious City question is about how the Haymarket incident affected Chicago culture. So here I'll bring in James Green, the author of Death in the Haymarket, a story of Chicago, the first labor movement, and the bombing that divided Gilded Age America. Hello. Now, several historians have told us that Haymarket's biggest effects on Chicago's culture had to do with labor unions. So if we think about those Chicagoans who were pushing for workers' rights— how did Haymarket change things for them?
2: Chicago had a very uh, vibrant, uh, diverse labor movement in in 1886. It had a, a traditional craft union base, the American Federation of Labor. It had a, a revolutionary base. So all these unions were very robust and kind of contending for influence over the working class. And after Haymarket... The anarchist movement, the revolutionary movement, was completely destroyed.
0: And how did the bombing change the attitude that Chicago business owners had about unions and workers? On
2: the eve of the the bombing, small employers in particular, and even a few larger ones, were conceding to the demand uh, for an eight-hour day. Some were uh, conceding to nine hours. For example, all the breweries in Chicago Conceded that demand. So They were being cooperative. Uh, there were some real holdouts, of course. McCormick's Reaper Works, the Farm Implement Plant, where all the the trouble started, really, where the two strikers were killed, refused to make any concessions. But after the bomb went off and the, the Red Scare swept the city, uh, the employers did a kind of a bout face and said, "We're not, we're not granting these strikers anything." So, almost all was lost in the aftermath of the bombing. That is to say. The Great Eight Hour Movement uh, suffered a a tremendous setback and took many decades to revive itself.
0: What sort of role did uh, the anarchists play in Chicago before Haymarket and what did they believe in? And then how did this change the way that they were viewed in Chicago?
2: Yes, well, it's remarkable in in retrospect how much uh, freedom August Bees and his German comrades had to go out on the lakefront and uh, speak about revolution, about the new order, about the way that industrial capitalism was oppressing the masses and how the, the police and all these agents of repression and that eventually workers might have to use force, might have to use arms to achieve their liberation. And Mayor Carter Harrison, uh, the mayor at the time, was was tolerant of this. There were many who, who wanted to silence uh, the anarchists, but free speech flourished. And, and they were attracting quite a following. There was a German language daily newspaper called the Arbeiter Zeitung which had 20,000 subscribers. So this was part of the discussion the gilded age had aroused tremendous uh, doubts about what was happening with big capital and revolutionary socialist anarchists had a voice in that debate. After Haymarket that that voice was silenced and people uh, didn't want to hear anything more from anarchists.
0: In what ways did Haymarket shape Chicago's reputation, the way people outside of Chicago thought about the city? Well, I
2: I suppose it's fair to say that in the aftermath of the bombing, I remember all these police officers were killed. And This was a horrible trauma for the whole nation. Uh, there was a general sense that forces of law and order had rallied and restored order. There was a trial. There were executions. Chicago had recovered like it had after the Chicago fire for example but there were many doubts about what had happened in the trial and the execution and the bombing the justice of what had happened there so that blemish that sort of cloud doesn't disappear chicago was where the immigrant dream died and where you know three immigrants end up on the gallows for a crime that that they didn't commit so i think if you ask people around the world uh, where there were radical movements Spain, Italy, Cuba, Mexico, Argentina. Chicago had a bad reputation as a place where a great injustice had been done.
0: We've been talking with James Green, author of Death in the Haymarket from Boston, where he's a history professor at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Thanks very much for talking with us. (laughs) Thank you very much. James Green is just one of many historians I spoke to while answering a curiosity question posed by Sabina. She wanted to know how the bombing at Haymarket Square in 1886 affected Chicago's culture. Well, again, free speech was curtailed in Chicago, and Haymarket set back the labor movement for decades. But historians say there were other effects, too. Take music.
1: The eight-hour song
0: was the rallying cry for Chicagoans who were striking in 1886. After Haymarket and other labor troubles, its popularity died down. But the issues that prompted Haymarket, labor, immigration, police power, freedom of speech, are as relevant today as ever. And so the eight-hour song is being revived by Chicago's own Grammy Award-winning rapper, Che Reinfest smith He joins us in studio now with his producer, T.L. Williams. Welcome. Yes,
3: sir. Thank you for having us.
0: So when you first heard this song back from the 1800s, what struck you about it? And when you look at these things people were singing about it, does it seem like some of the issues are still relevant today?
3: It helped me to understand what their issues were. In that time, when you know labor unions were first forming, and and behind that was violence, and and they're basically saying, you know, we're killing ourselves, and we we need some protections and promises for our families and for our futures, you know. And I think the issues have evolved. I mean, look at the fight that the Chicago teachers unions are are having just to keep public schools open. But the problems have also evolved into you know violence in our communities and and so when I when I rewrote the song in a real hip hop way you know I spoke about some of the problems that that we face today in our communities and not just the problems but some of the solutions how we come through it
0: To hear the full song and see a video, go to wbez.org slash This edition of Curious City was reported by me, Robert Lorzell. Rhymefest will be performing his version of the 8-Hour Song on May 10th at the University of Chicago's Logan Center in a concert organized by The Hideout and the Jane Addams Hull House Museum. It's part of a three-day festival called Let's Get Working, which celebrates the legacy of storyteller Studs Turk. Curious City is produced by WBEZ and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting
1: and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism.
3: 18, 18 I meditated with
1: Curious City is supported by Dover, a diversified global manufacturer that delivers innovative equipment and components, specialty systems, and support services through its four major operating segments, energy, engineered systems, fluids, and refrigeration and food equipment. By combining global scale with operational agility, Dover is a leader in the markets they serve. The Dover team of over 25,000 employees takes an ownership mindset, collaborating with customers to redefine what's possible. Find out more at (laughs) DoverCorporation.com.
3: Brewski, forever rise like the Planet of the Apes movie, ayy, no time to play, 80 hours of hustle, ain't enough in the day, 8 cribs, 8 cars, it ain't nothing to say, almost a million in my account, we $80 away, ayy, ayy, ay, ayy, it's 24, them the hours I put in trying to get more, you got 10 friends, and eight that don't show, and a million rappers out here, but eight that's gon' blow, ape. One way, we're fooling ourselves in America. In another way, we're struggling just to survive. And in another way, we're working very, very, very hard for a little bit. And we know it.